0: See if you can spot where the challenge is here. You're a wife and a mom who wants things to go right. Marriage and family is messy and your husband isn't perfect. You see how that can be a problem? Here's Barbara Rainey.
1: One of the things that's true about us as women, and I had a conversation with my daughter just yesterday on the phone about this, is that it's so easy for us because of our emotional makeup. To get very overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. So, a woman who's married and is discouraged by her relationship with her husband, she can get so overwhelmed to the point that she just doesn't see clearly.
0: This is Family Life Today. Our host is Dennis Rainey. I'm Bob Lapine. What do you do as a wife when you get overwhelmed, when you're discouraged by all that's going on? How do you deal with that? We're going to talk about that today with Barbara Rainey. Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life today. Thanks for joining us on the Thursday edition. We're diving back into uh, into a rich field of ore today. I mean, there is some good stuff that uh, we're going to be digging into.
2: We have some pretty fair guests on Family Life today from we time to time. Yes. Uh, Max Lucado, Tony Evans, Crawford Ritz, mm-hmm. uh Mary Cassian, Nancy Lee DeMoss, Wogelmuth, uh a lot of really pretty fair uh, country guests. Pretty, you know? pretty good communicators
0: <laughs> with some pretty good biblical
2: knowledge. Now, uh, this one's a cut above. Somebody who is just a cut above kind of your favorite, <laughs> definitely my favorite. <laughs> my bride of 43 years, sweetheart. Welcome back.
1: I don't know if I can live up to all that. That's pretty, pretty <laughs> strong, wasn't it? Very strong.
2: Well, our listeners uh, love you. I we were uh, with some friends uh, here this past weekend and ran into a number of listeners, and they came up and talked to Barbara about uh, her books and uh, Ever Thine Home, all the resources she's creating for for wives and moms and uh, women to be able to display their faith in their homes. And it was kind of fun to watch them uh, come out kind of out of the woodwork, out of a large gathering of people, come by and say hi to Barbara and say, I appreciate you.
0: Well, and a lot of buzz around your new book. It's called Letters to My Daughters. And um, this, this really didn't start as a book, did it?
1: It absolutely didn't. When our oldest son was engaged to be married, his fiancée came to me and said, you know, I would really love to hear some encouragement from you about being a wife. And I thought, wow.
0: (laughs) She just opened the door, didn't she?
1: I know. And I thought, wow, if she opened the door, then I'm going to gently and cautiously walk through that door. And so I wasn't sure exactly how to go about doing it because we all lived in different places, so it wasn't possible to take her out for coffee and have a conversation. So I decided I would start writing some letters just to share some of the lessons that I had learned over the years in being a wife, just by way of encouragement, and here are some things that I learned, and maybe this will help you.
0: And did you write them one-on-one to her, or did you copy everybody else when you started I copied
1: writing? all three married girls. So our oldest, Ashley, who was already married, and then our son, Samuel, had married the same summer, so it went to three married girls.
0: And then you expanded it out as this kind of snowballed and, and continued?
1: Well, we we traded about, I sent, I'll rephrase that, I sent about a dozen emails total. And, you know, I don't know how much of it was that they didn't know me that well. And so there wasn't a lot of response, which I understood. I mean, you know, we're talking about subjects about marriage. And this is your mother-in-law. What do you say? Mm -hmm. So I didn't get much feedback. And so they kind of dried up. And then when our daughter, Rebecca, got married in 2005, I went and dug them all out and sent them to her sort of as a batch, a couple of them at a time. And and then that really was the end of it after that, in the email version.
2: I think what's interesting about this is the whole idea came from a couple of sources. One was uh, a book that was famous Uh, very popular back when Barbara and I were college students by Charlie Shedd. And it was called Letters to Karen. Uh It wasn't Letters to My Daughter. It was, uh, uh, although, was was Karen his daughter? Karen Karen was was his his daughter. daughter. Because I also got
0: Letters to Philip, which was the follow-up, which he'd written Mm -hmm. Letters to his son, both of them around married
2: subjects. Exactly, exactly. But there was another kind of... um, I don't know, birthplace of this idea of sending letters that was a part of Barbara's family.
1: When I was uh, growing up, I remember my mother used to anxiously look for this large legal size envelope that would come in the mail probably every couple of months. She had married my dad, and they had moved two or three states away from where she grew up, and it was a place where she knew no one. And although she developed friends, there were no family members anywhere near and so she and her, her mother and some other relatives in the family and friends had this. Exchange of letters that were all handwritten that went by the postal service and it was called a round robin. Mm. So my mother would write her letter, put it in the envelope and send it on its way where the next person would read my mother's letter and all the other letters that were in it. She would take out her original letter and put in a new letter and send the packet on its way. And it would just make this circle between these six or eight women that were a part of this group because nobody got on the phone and talked for fun in those days. You only used the phone for emergencies or business or important things. You didn't just get on to chat. So letter writing was the only way that you really kept up with people who lived far away. And so they had this letter exchange that they passed around. And I just remember very vividly that every time that letter came, that packet with all those messages from home, touches with her family and friends that she didn't get to see very often. She would get a cup of coffee and sit down, and she relished those letters. Mm. She read them and just absorbed all that she could out of those communications from friends that she loved and cared about and missed deeply. And so that became a way for her to stay in touch with those friends.
2: Mm. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting, Bob, now in the present age of uh, social media and uh, having communications. so and Tweets and texts and emails. So mm-hmm. easy, you know, we have access to so much that the art of letter writing I mean, a really good, thoughtful letter. In fact, I have back on my desk uh, a letter that was given to me by Steve Green, uh, who is the president and CEO of Hobby Lobby, that he had obtained that was written by Thomas Jefferson during his presidency. And it's just interesting to have a copy of a letter that's uh, over 200 years mm. old and to think about the words being crafted, how thoughtful it was. And uh, I think there's a need to recapture that both personal side, but also just the thoughtful side, the contemplative side of you're facing some issues. Let me step into your life and provide some guidance in a personal way uh, for you. And not just shoot from the hip, but give some real
0: thought to the response. Some of the letters, because you will print a letter in here and we should say this is not an actual letter from one of your daughters people Correct. shouldn't read this and try to figure out which daughter Correct. was was asking this question you would take a composite mm-hmm. of questions that were being asked you or uh, subjects that your daughters
2: were asking you about and people who would come up to Barbara at a weekend to remember marriage getaway right we have tens of thousands of people who come to those events and when Barbara speaks women stand in line to talk to her and these questions that are in the book are are really questions that these women had asked Barbara from the weekend to remember well and and I'm looking at one of the letters that you respond to in your
0: book And you're tackling some pretty interesting stuff here. I mean, one of these letters asks this question. It says, hey, mom, sometimes I get tired of being discouraged by all the unexpected things I have to deal with that come from the way my husband lives life. It's not just that we're different. You already wrote me about that. It's more than that. It's like I think if I didn't have him, sometimes life would be easier. Now, wait a sec. Do, do wives really feel that way? I mean, am starting to feel a little insecure here. Does a wife really feel like sometimes life would be easier? Let, let me, yeah, let
2: me just stop you. What if your wife's name on the book? <laughs> you, you can feel real
0: insecure. I get, huh? I get you. Okay. And you're on the radio. <laughs> let, let me finish this. It says, it's kind of nice when he's out of town for a few days. This is a wife who's saying, sometimes I, I wonder if I'd be happier more satisfied, more fulfilled if I didn't have a husband to deal with?
1: Well, I think there are those moments when women do feel that way because the differences never go away. That's the first chapter in the book. And I write in the book that it's the first and most lasting adjustment to marriage because the differences never go away. Even though I'm used to things that he brings to our world, his personality, his, the way he approaches life, and his maleness. <laughs> his
0: perspective I'm, is different. It's I'm,
1: very different. And so I think what this question is saying is that sometimes when a husband travels, there feels a little bit of a, oh, I can do things the way I want to do things. I don't have to be just thinking about what I would like to do and how's this going to make him feel? How's he going to respond to this? I can just do what I want to do.
0: You know, I, I, I get that because I think for husbands, I think there's a similar...
1: I th- would ex- expect so. To have
0: a break and just to be able to... Times when I'm traveling, I'm focused on whatever I'm doing <laughs> traveling-wise. <laughs> uh, or if your
1: wife goes on a women's retreat, you can just kind of veg and eat pizza and all day long and not worry about anything, some, right?
0: Sometimes those breaks are nice to have, but you wouldn't want them to go on for very no, long. No, no. And in the midst of them, you do have a sense of something lacking, even if you're enjoying just the pause Mm -hmm. in the relationship, right?
1: Yeah, without question, because we are complete in one another, and marriage does complete that which is lacking. I mean, God says the two shall become one. And so there is a sense in which you can kind of relax about some things when your husband or your wife is out of town, but there is that realization that life isn't the same without him in it. So it makes you miss one another and appreciate those differences, those things that the other person brings that are so very uh, contradictory at times, but it, it is for good. So when should a wife
0: start to be concerned if she's thinking, I kind of wish he would go away for a few days because I really like it when he's gone? You know, when, when can she tell this is an okay break versus no, this is us drifting toward isolation in our marriage?
2: Or this is unhealthy thinking. Yeah. I mean, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about the very essence of marriage goes back to Genesis where it says, it was not good that man be alone. Mm -hmm. So it says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. And I think we get married because there's something lacking in our lives and that, that something is a person. It's mm-hmm. the completeness of a husband and a wife in a marriage relationship designed by God. And the two are asked to deny themselves and to defeat isolation and not grow into an unhealthy relationship where you long for the times when you're going to be separated. You need to keep the relationship alive and not forget why you married the other person in the first place. God brought you together. You need to get on with it, and you need to learn how to embrace the differences.
1: Yeah. It's okay to have a break occasionally, but the goal of marriage is being together and becoming one and allowing God to do his redemptive work in our lives.
2: And, and ultimately, what marriage is all about is about two imperfect people learning how to love one another within the commitment of marriage. Uh-huh. You're going to school with God teaching you from the Bible, and I'd have to say I I didn't understand that when I enrolled in this course called marriage. But looking back over four decades of marriage, I'd have to say I know more about love because of marriage than any Mm -hmm. other relationship
0: Mm -hmm. in my life. Some of the wives who are listening to us have this conversation are thinking the negatives that you're talking about Mm -hmm. with my husband, Mm -hmm. some of these are pretty dark negatives. Mm -hmm. Some of these are negatives that cast such a shadow over the relationship that it's hard for me just to hold things together. How do I turn that into a positive, or what do I do with those negatives? How do I deal with a husband who, man, the negatives are just, they're stark and they're real, and it's really challenging. Yeah. I'm not married to Dennis. You know, a wife who's listening is thinking, I'm not married to Dennis, who's a godly, mm-hmm. virtuous man who is pursuing a walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. I'm married to a guy who's marginally interested in spiritual things mm-hmm. and who's yelling at the kids and who's uh, uh, drinking too much. What do I do?
1: Well, there, that's a very... A complex question because there are so many uh, levels and degrees of, of what constitute negatives and difficult things in a relationship. So let me answer it two ways. One is any wife has to start by looking at herself and saying, okay, God, am I accepting the man that you put in my life? Am I giving thanks for him in his strengths and in his weaknesses? Am I looking to you to do the transforming work? Cause you even said in your question, A woman says, what can I do? How do I relate to him and help transform him? Well, it's not the wife's job. And I think we so easily get caught up in thinking that it's our responsibility to fix him, to change him. We do that with our kids. We're always helping our kids. And we talked about that on another broadcast, that helping a husband is different than helping your kids. But it starts by her attitude and her perspective and her belief in God and His sovereignty and His ability to work. So it starts with where she's focusing her eyes Is she looking at all the negative stuff in his life to such a degree that she's totally forgotten all the good that there is. So my first challenge is to her— are you open to, to God being at work? Have you totally given up on Him? Are you giving thanks for your relationship the way it is? And then the other side is, if it really is indeed very, very difficult things that are beyond a woman's responsibility to deal with, um, you may need to see a counselor, you may need to get someone, a pastor or someone who is wise and skilled to intervene, to help you, to coach you, to guide you. Uh, find an older woman who can be your mentor to help give you perspective. One of the things that's true about us is women, and I had a conversation with my daughter just yesterday on the phone about this, is that... It's so easy for us, because of our emotional makeup, to get very overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. So a woman who's married and is is discouraged by her relationship with her husband, she can get so overwhelmed to the point that she just doesn't see clearly. And that's why a mentor is so helpful, someone who can look at it ob- objectively and say, you know, it's probably not as bad as you think it is. Here are, let me give you one or two things that you can try, one or two practical suggestions that might make a difference for you because we do lose perspective and we do we just get all out of sorts and so it's very common for us as women to get discouraged with our marriages because we're just discouraged about life in general so check your heart find someone to help you find a mentor find another woman who can speak objectively into your life and say it may not be as bad as you think it is Mm -hmm. and here are some things you can try
2: And what I'd say to my daughters is I'd say, do you remember when you get up in the morning and see your mom reading the Bible? Uh, What was that symbolic of? It was that your mom was teachable, that she was trying to meet with God, and ultimately that her hope was in God. And so the woman who's listening to us right now who's lost hope, she's got to have a spiritual thermometer check how's your relationship with God? You got to be reminded of who He is, how He operates in this imperfect world that we live in, and what He's calling us to do, which is live and walk by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit.
1: And I just want to say to the moms who are listening who've got a house full of kids or even maybe one or two kids but it feels like a full house to you I did not get up every morning and read my bible my kids didn't see me doing that every day and I want I just don't want anybody listening to think that I was that woman that got up every morning and read my bible I I mean there were there were weeks that I would go by and not read my bible <laughs> in the morning Um, I would talk to God and I would pray and I would try to catch snippets of the Bible here and there in different places. But I was pretty overwhelmed and pretty um, buried with kids and with life. So, yes, I totally agree with what you just said, Dennis, that it is absolutely crucial that your hope is in God and in no place else. Your hope can't be in your husband because he will fail. That's a given. So put your hope in God and keep it there and do all that you can to maintain that. But I just don't want anybody to feel like there's this standard of, I have to get up and read my Bible every morning before my kids are up. If you can do that, great. I couldn't do that, and I failed miserably many times. But my hope remained in Christ for the most part.
2: And there was a proverb I was thinking about as I uh, was thinking about our listeners today, who who were going to hear Barbara on this subject. It's uh, Proverbs chapter four, verse twenty-three. We we've quoted it uh, quite frequently here on Family Life Today. It says, "Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life." And Um, You may not be able to get in the Bible every day, Um, and I'm glad you said that just to remove this mythical phantom Mm -hmm. that exists of the super spiritual mom, but um, your heart needs to know who it is that you serve, Mm -hmm. who is your hope. And you need to cultivate that. And I'm glad you mentioned a mentor or a friend or even a counselor if things really go south or to keep them from going south. Someone that you can lean into and spill out your emotions and, and safety and talk about it, not just being negative, but but trying to find someone who can coach you out of the ditch that you may be in. And that's what church is all about. That's what the the, the community of faith of Christ followers ought to be about. We ought to be meeting each other in our our ditches and saying, you know what? It's safe. We're all broken. There is nobody who's got it all together. But uh, but to, to maybe dig in with a group of women into a book like this, Bob, and decide we're going to get real with each other, we're going to get honest, and uh, we're going to make sure our hope is in the right place. Well, and I was going to say, at,
0: at one level, that's what this book is all about. It's it's a mentoring book. It is an older woman mentoring younger women on what it means to be a wife according to God's design. And
2: and I'd just like to say here, and I know I'm biased, so the listeners, are they already know that. They've heard me talk about Barbara in the past. I'm biased toward her. Uh, this is not a fluffy feel-good book. This is a real-life book that talks about where you are living as a woman, wife, mom, grandmother, and it. It. I think it's a life-giving. It's It's the words of a wise woman that are bringing life to others because she's reminding people of the truth. And people today need to get away from the culture and the messages of the culture. And the messages of all their buddies on Facebook or Twitter, and they need to dig in deep with someone who will tell them the real truth and nothing but the truth. Yeah, if it was just
0: you and you alone with this book, I think that would be great for your soul. But if it could be you and three or four other women and you go through this book together, I think the interaction you'll have would just add a dimension to your study where you'd find help you need from friends, life on life going on, a lot of support that can happen in that environment. We have copies of Barbara Rainey's book, Letters to My Daughters here at Family Life Today. I'd encourage you to get three or four copies and get a group of ladies together and plan to go through it this summer. We have a downloadable discussion guide that's available, questions you can ask each other as you go through this book. Again, find out more when you go to familylifetoday.com. You can order from us online, or you can call to order 1-800-FL-TODAY. The website, familylifetoday.com, or call 1-800-358-6329. That's 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. Now, today is the last day of May, and as a result, today is the last day that we have available to us matching gift funds from Family Life Today listeners. We had some folks back at the beginning of the month who said, during May, we're going to match every donation you receive dollar for dollar, up to a total of $786,000. So anybody who's made a one-time gift during May, that donation has been matched. In addition... Our new legacy partners, and we have a number of them, thank you to those of you who have become legacy partners this month, your donations are being matched dollar for dollar for the next 12 months, as long as there's money in the matching gift fund. And today's the last day for you to sign on and take advantage of this legacy partner opportunity for your donations to be doubled for the next year. In addition, when you become a legacy partner today, we're going to send you a certificate that you can use for yourself or you can share with somebody else. For one of our upcoming Weekend to Remember Marriage getaways. The certificate is our way of saying thank you for partnering with us and helping us together reach more people with practical, biblical help and hope for their marriage and for their family. You can sign up to become a legacy partner online at familylifetoday.com or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY Again, the website familylifetoday.com or call to become a legacy partner or to make a one-time gift 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. Now, tomorrow we want to talk about how damaging a critical spirit can be, whether a wife is speaking critically toward her husband or just reflecting a critical spirit. That can really tear into his soul. We'll talk more about that tomorrow with Barbara Rainey. Hope you can be here for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas
2: a crew ministry help for today, hope for tomorrow.